Issues, a podcast about leadership management and the challenge of keeping your coffee at exactly the right temperature for the entire time you're drinking it. I'm Rachel Perkins, aka Pie or Pie Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese, and whiskey, and of course, leadership. And I'm Kendall Miller. Shelled almonds always taste worse than unshelled almonds because fighting for your food makes it taste better. <laughs> and today on the show, we're talking to Beata Puncevich, Executive Vice President of Engineering at HealthGrades. Welcome to the show, Beata. Hi, Welcome. guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you very Thanks much for, for joining us. Here. Yeah. So let's dive right in. I mean, tell us about your path to leadership, Beata. How did you yeah. get to uh, be Executive Vice President of Engineering at HealthGrades? Where'd you yeah. start? Go back yeah, as where far did you as start? You like. Okay. So I sort of did it twice. First time sort of by accident, and the second time a little bit more purposefully. Um, so the first time uh, probably is best explained to go even further back about my background. So I grew up uh, in the Soviet Union in Vilnius, Lithuania, and I moved to the US when I was just turned 15. So I was still a teenager. And uh, so I didn't speak English or, you know, it was kind of a big change in my life, obviously. And yeah, a little bit. Uh, Unless you went to, there's probably a few places in Ohio that are exactly like <laughs> exactly Lithuania, like it. I distinctly uh, remember looking at the temperature on like a highway sign and thinking that Fahrenheit made no sense. I was like, how could it be eighty degrees? I don't understand. <laughs> you're, you're right. It makes no sense. Makes you're no absolutely sense. right. Yeah. So you got here at fifteen. Yeah. You know, make no sense. And <laughs> yeah. So um. So the reason that's important is because um. You know the way that I grew up. Uh, I really watched both my parents who are both educated but really hustle uh, because we sort of grew up in, in less than ideal uh, circumstances when it comes to you know financial health and opportunities and all of that. So um, so when I came to the U.S., um, that was uh, probably an, maybe an implicit expectation of me as well. So I started working right away, even though I still didn't speak any English or anything, and I sort of got any sort of job I could, which um, at the time as a 15-year-old, as you can imagine, uh, my options weren't vast. So I worked uh, in retail for a while um, and at a local mall uh, near Chicago suburbs. Um, and the company that hired me worked selling Russian memorabilia. So I think they probably felt uh, like, hey, this you know sort of makes sense. This person can't speak English, but um, they looked the part. Authenticity. <laughs> they looked <laughs> the part, yeah. So I don't even think I was making minimum wage because I technically wasn't even allowed to, to work. But um, I guess I was fortunate at the time to be surrounded by people who, um, you know, when you work in a mall, you get to know a lot of people who work in the mall, right? So everyone who works around you. And, um, and obviously, they saw something in me of just wanting to do more, be better, do something else. So I sort of had a bunch of different retail jobs. And while I was still in school, ended up being like assistant manager and then manager and then getting into operations. Um, and it was the weirdest at, experience. At um, the retail place or where, yeah. where were you getting into? Okay. Yeah. Still you were at still the disrupted memorabilia. Okay. No, I switched jobs. I worked for a company that did like um, uh, signatures for um, uh, various sports stars, like autographs, you know, items. And then I worked oh. for a shoe store that went out of business. And um, I went and worked for linens and things for a while. Uh -huh. um, so, you know, I was in high school and starting college. And um, I swear, like people I worked with didn't even realize I was in high school because I worked 40 hours a week. And, you know, I was there doing night shifts. And I ended up managing people just because that was what was next. And right, that's right. what was required. 
Um, so I sort of accidentally ended up in leadership role, um, in, in retail. Um, and I sort of liked that part of my experience, even though it, um, you know, definitely the problems I was facing with were probably relatively narrow in scope, but it taught me a lot of basics, you know, how to delegate, how to set goals, how to give feedback, how to get 50 people to sort of look at you and, and listen. And um, so I'm like never afraid of public speaking now. Like nothing scares That's me. That's great. <laughs> good <laughs> outcome. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Very good outcome. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So it sort of happened by accident uh, at that time, but um, maybe coincidentally or um, fortunately, I also, um, as a result of working in operations and retail back then, I had the opportunity to um, get my first taste of what we now call data engineering. So um, at the time, sort of um, analytical problems were arising in operations. Uh, you know, how do you allocate inventory and how do you set up a schedule and, you know, how do you sure. allocate resources and stuff like that. So um, I had like a little bit of a taste uh, of that and I, and I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Um, I had mm -hmm. gone to school for finance very pragmatically because <laughs> I was good at economics and I decided that I probably don't want to be broke. So I didn't go to school for economics. I went to school for finance thinking that's like the practical um, application. The making arm of economics. <laughs> totally. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, absolute sense There's to me always the a job for someone who knows how to do budgeting and accounting and stuff. I figured, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. And then I took an accounting class and I was like, oh, this is terrible. Why would anybody do this? <laughs> no offense to accountants um, at all. No, it is terrible though. I mean, there's <laughs> a temperament. You need a certain temperament there's for that kind of work. And I don't think That's any right. of the three of us has it. <laughs> no, no, it is not. It's not a core competency of mine. But, uh, but you know, I, I'm good at math. So I feel like that's a universally applicable skill. But, um, Anyways, so yeah, so I um, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And at that point, I've already been leading teams. I honestly don't remember the counts, but at some points, my teams were pretty large, like several dozen people. You know, most of them, again, in retail are not even 18 years old. And, but that's These also. are direct reports. Sorry. You're, yeah. you're, okay. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I want to ask something before... Uh, and I ask this of a lot of folks, but usually it's not this early in their their career. Did you get any kind of management training to to handle these folks? Like you're you're their actual manager. It's not exactly the kind of job where you think about too much about career growth, but yeah, like yeah. So no training at all, huh? No, I was winging it. Totally <laughs> winging it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So far, so and good. Making eh? terrible mistakes, or was it coming relatively naturally for you? Um, so one is I didn't even know management training was a thing, so I didn't know to go get it, uh, back then. Um, I think some stuff came naturally to me, uh, Kendall. Mm -hmm. I think that things like sort of setting goals and setting expectations is, is sort of a natural thing for me, but, um, I knew nothing. Um, yeah. and you know, the, the older I get and the more experience I get as a leader, the more I'm sort of the more my universe expands and the more I realize how little I really know about anything. <laughs> you so, think back and go, Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. I just wish I had known then. Uh, I'm just so okay. that my work wasn't digital back then. Cause if I had uh, to go back and look at any of it now, it would probably scare me to death. So yeah. Yeah. I understand that <laughs> so, feeling as well. So you're sitting <laughs> in operations and you, you get a taste of the data underneath because you're collecting all this data and trying to make sense out of it mm -hmm. and then keep going. Where did it go from there? So, um, so then I took this really purposeful and big and mysterious pivot in my career. Um, so I, uh, just through sheer coincidence by knowing a recruiter that happened to be working on this role, 
caught wind of a role at um, a really large payer based in Chicago. And um, I honestly read the job description like 10 times. I had no idea what the job is, uh, even after having done that. And I uh, really didn't understand what it was all about. But I figured, what's the harm of talking to them? They've been trying to fill this role for a while. They went through something like 80 interviews and couldn't find anyone that suited whatever their criteria was. And so it was an interesting interview process. It was a lot of me like, so what is it that you do? And how would I help you? And did you um, said this is a payer or a, yeah. I didn't... healthcare okay. service corporation. So they, they have a bunch of blues. So Illinois, Texas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, Fort Dearborn Life. So they're, I don't know, I think they're like top five. Don't quote me on that, uh, payers okay. in, the, in the U.S. So they're a pretty big payer. But um, so, yeah, they're based in Chicago. And I figured, you know, uh, this is good. I, I definitely want to stay local. And uh, there'll be a lot of growth at a big company. That was my thinking at the time. And what's the harm of talking to them? And Totally. Yeah. So for whatever reason, they took a chance on me and I took a chance on them. Um, they um, uh, were, uh, there was a brand new technical team that was formed at the time. I think it was like 10 people. When I left years later, it was over a hundred. So it was um, sort of starting out and they were looking for someone to help them navigate um, uh, sort of the corporate world and, and to help establish programs and I think they were just really just hiring smart people who could figure things out. Um, there wasn't yeah. a, a formula. And so for whatever reason, they took a chance. A lot of those people I still know, I, I should probably go back and ask them, you know, why they decided to do that. <laughs> um, what, did yeah. they give a title for the role? Like what was the title of the role they hired you for? You know, I was thinking about that earlier because I knew you would ask this and I just <laughs> do not remember. And I think it's because it was like one of those bullshit titles that didn't mean anything. Um, I remember sure. it was a grade 18 because <laughs> like, there's, you know, this grade system. Uh -huh. But I could not, I would not remember what my title was coming into the organization. But it was an individual contributor role. So I took uh -huh. a step back, obviously, um, basically entered a brand new vertical um, in healthcare, I knew nothing about healthcare and, um, started off as an individual contributor on this team, um, and sort of spent probably the first year drinking through the fire hose, just learning everything. And I was super lucky. I had, um, uh, my boss and my team really were investing in me learning. So I spent so much time during that first year, just in training, like technical training, uh, conferences about healthcare, data security, et cetera. It was just, you know, probably a whole other second education for me. So were you still were in you college at this time or, mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. So, and you were, you were, you were getting your finance degree. Yeah. Okay. So I knew I didn't want to do that for a living anymore, but I was told that you should, you know, check the box and I did something totally crazy. I worked full time and I took a double load at school because I was trying to save on tuition uh, money. So, yeah, and it's can free that. if it's double load. <laughs> Yeah, um, if you can get approved, and so I, I, I literally would wake up at four a.m., do homework until seven, go to work, skip my daytime classes because I was at work in a real job, go to evening class, do that, come home, stay up until two a.m. You know, and everything I missed during the day at school, do it again, and I did that for like I don't know a year and a half or two years or something to get my degree done. Are um, you sorry yeah. you worked that hard? I mean, was it did it really seem bad at the time? I mean, are you looking back and going, I didn't need to do that? I look back on that time. It's a really good question. I look back on that time and I am uh, amazed at this almost superpower ability I developed to focus. 
Because uh -huh. if I back then had 15 minutes, I could get so much sort of done in that 15 minute time period because I had this just incredible ability to switch, flip a switch and do this really deep work. Um, oh, I don't amazing. think I have it anymore. <laughs> I think I was it's, say, can I have some? I need that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's probably yeah. it, at least in part related to the need to have it, right? Like it, you didn't yeah. have the luxury of not getting shit done in those 15 right. minutes. So it was like, yeah, yeah. I have 15, time it's to amazing. buckle down. Yeah, yeah knocks you're like out Hermione Granger, honestly. Hermione Granger and the like time that. turner. Yeah, I like yeah. That. I you like just that. had you to use like put it out of yourself. <laughs> yeah, are you more afraid of getting expelled than death? Because that's the yeah. real test of whether you're a Hermione Granger. You know, but. I do. I did grow up uh, with a culture of sort of that academic failure was really not an option. But my parents were teachers, so I don't think the option of even like you know, not doing well at school was even like occurred to me as a, as a yeah. potential possibility. So Almost. I, yeah, you're, you're totally qualified. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so you, you're, you're, you're learning onboarding a ton of info and you're, yeah. you're coming into a, it's like some sort of data operations group or, or a, a formal formational group in, in this healthcare company, <clears throat> excuse me, and you're still in school. And then what happened? Um, so then I finished school and I had all this time on my hands. I didn't know what to do with because I had all this time to like sleep now and learn. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was amazing. Um, and I had sort of like a light bulb moment where I think for the first time in my life, it occurred to me that I'm sort of the driver of this bus. Um, because honestly, when you sort of grow up doing what you have to do, you don't really have a skill set of figuring out what you want to do or what you could do or how to even go about making that plan. So up until that point, I really just felt like I was, you know, heads down, focused, just every opportunity that comes to me, say yes, work as hard as you possibly can, bust your butt, mm -hmm. hope it works out, you know, do what needs to be done. Don't even like look up from um, from that path. And when I finished school and I was in this job, which, you know, to a large extent, really, it's what you make it. Um, and I it realized I realized that really I have an opportunity to shape what comes next. And I very much said back and said, you know, what do I want to do? And um, at the time, there was a new leader that started a different a different organization within HCSA that um, this brilliant other person, you know, I'm not going to mention his name just to not uh, give him an ego boost in case he happens to listen to this. <laughs> he knows who he is. Um, okay. <laughs> but um, I, I went to him, I approached him and I, and I essentially asked if there was an, if there was an opportunity for me to work for him. Um, uh, very open without, you know, a resume or some kind of plan, just saying, I want to be part of this. And the slides. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, no slides. Still suck at slides. Still terrible. <laughs> uh, till this day, uh, try to avoid it you if can, I can. You could be same. a good leader, or you could be a good slide maker. I don't believe that the, the same I like that. Uh, exists. I'm gonna put that on a <laughs> put that on a t-shirt. I think that. That's right. That's right. So this person said, "Sure." He said yes. Uh, they was he was new to the organization. He's very charismatic. Very. Um, sort of uh, mission-oriented leader, um, not afraid of anything. When you work for a large organization, um, and I didn't go into this, but it's like a whole other topic, but when you are someone like me who comes from a very high accountability environment and you, and you come into this large organization that you immediately feel like you had like time space, like everything slows down oh, yeah. and you just don't know how to get anything done and change seems impossible almost. And here comes this leader who's like, you know, obstacles are nothing. We see past the obstacles. We can get anything done. 
um, doesn't matter how hard it is. And, um, and so he, he said yes. And I had the opportunity to uh, come over to his team and at this point get a small team of uh, analysts and engineers to lead. Um, so sort of going back to my leadership, uh, role again for the first, I don't know how many years sort of passed between, you know, probably a few, a couple of years between my last job and, and this new management role again. Um, and yeah, so I got to be a leader, a people leader again, um, at that time. And then, you know, from then on, um, really most of my jobs have been my old bosses going someplace and recruiting me to come over. <laughs> yeah, that's that a, a classic one. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so you, is did you find same... that, oh, Kendall, uh, no, I, I, it's not what, oh, the it's not, a, it's messed not up. a show if we're not, um, if we're yeah. not talking on top of each other, no, go ahead. You ask first. <laughs> All right. So the question I wanted to ask is, uh, did, so you had, uh, you know, some amount of experience leading folks sort of in the retail world, mostly, yeah. uh, how much of that did you bring with you? How much of it kind of applied in this entirely new situation? Um, I think when my team was pretty small, the some of the basics still applied. Um, you know, just habits like having one-on-ones with people, setting goals, giving feedback. I think a lot of that translated over, but um, really none of it was applicable in the organization I was in because to accomplish anything in a large organization like HCSC, it was a very different set of muscles and just mm-hmm. thinking about it differently than anything I had done before. Um, so, you know, a lot of days really felt like one step forward, two steps back and figuring out how to lead a team through that. So they are along for that, you know, relatively painful ride from time to time, Mm -hmm. uh, was not something that I knew how to do and really was figuring it out as I go along. (laughs) All right, Kendall. What? Yeah. What? um, you're a driven machine. I mean, it sounds like, right? Like, uh, and some of that's your history. There's, there's all kinds of reasons for that. Mm-hmm. When you're managing people, they're not always driven machines. Yeah. Uh, does the, are those people that just don't last very long working for you, or have you figured out you just have patience for them, and not everybody goes as fast? Or how does how does that mm-hmm. work? Because I imagine there's a significant uh, velocity differential between you and many of your reports. Yeah. So that's a great question, and I think if you ask me, like. I don't know, five, six, seven, eight years ago would have been a different answer. I definitely think that um, back um, back then, my uh, thinking, conscious or not, was that you know you either get on the bus or you get off the bus. Like you can either operate at this level and you can seek what's next and and all of that, or or not. Um, and I probably didn't have a lot of appreciation for different ways of um, of doing things. Um, I feel very differently now um, as my team's size and the kinds of problems I worked on over my career have changed drastically. I've come to really um, change my view of what leadership is. Like I used to think it was a lot about execution and I'd certainly have a reputation for being excellent at that, of you know, getting things done and executing. Um, but I've, I've sort of changed that my perspective that leadership is not, uh, around just you know execution or even setting goals or hitting them, um, and it's really more about uh, creating systems that uh, allow people who work on my team to operate at their best capacity. So um, whether that means that uh, someone thinks about things differently than me, um, that's not a, a bad thing to me anymore. So 
Um, I do think that there is um, a cultural fit that has to be, uh, there has to be alignment on the cultural fit, which is kind of how we behave and, and what we seek together as a team. But if, as long as that's in place, um, I am so grateful now for people who approach problems differently than me and break them mm -hmm. down in a different way. Like I currently have someone who works for me who is a scrum master lead and she approaches everything from a perspective of how people feel. You know, she's so in tune for how a squad may be feeling and how they're working together in this very, um, you know, what people would call an emotional way. And that's never would have been my MO. But because she does it that way, I find that I learned so much in such a different dimension of um, operations that I would have otherwise. Um, so I think I probably caused a lot of uh, friction early on in my career by being such a driven and sort of mm -hmm. tunnel vision per person focused on execution. And now I, um, I, I help them better now. <laughs> yeah. did you so did you have a particular experience that really kind of changed your mind or has it just been a slow like a slow process of coming to to learn that people have different things to contribute um i think it really happened out of need um i think the first time my team was very large and not just by size of um, sort of people who work on it, but also the scope of the things I was accountable for. Mm -hmm. um, being wider, I really, you know, ran into this problem where my old tool set for um, how to get something done just it wasn't going to work anymore. Because um, mm -hmm. I really, and I had this slow epiphany that uh, really the only thing I can do to be successful is to hire the right people and put them in the right places and enable them to sort of see past their barriers. Um, and without that, there's just absolutely no way um, I would succeed at anything because I can't control everything uh, mm -hmm. with you know that, that scope. So I think it was sort of a slow evolution, um, but driven primarily out of recognizing that need as opposed to like some specific event. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you're if you're a strong enough leader, you can control everything. Yeah, I just try uh, harder. Little <laughs> <laughs> well, well, China so, shop, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So to 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 that, uh, even your title, executive vice president of engineering, it takes yeah. a certain sized organization to have executive vice presidents in addition to vice presidents. Yeah. And I don't know if you have senior vice presidents. I mean, tell us about what your role actually looks like. Like, where do you sit in the organization? How many EVPs are there? How many VPs are there? What what is what does the organization sure. actually look like at HealthGrades? So HealthGrades is not a big company. I think it's about 800 employees and change. Um, mm. And we are part software, e-commerce, and a little bit of services. So, uh, and again, these numbers are probably not quite right, but engineering, like product development, is probably 200 and change out of that 800, maybe 250. Um, mm -hmm. So I started off as a SVP, actually, when I came into HealthGrades. I was hired on to uh, build a new data platform for the organization, for the website, for all of our applications, um, and sort of the underlying infrastructure and DevOps teams and all of that. And my role expanded a bunch of times in the three years I've been here. Uh, most recently, mm -hmm. in 2019, early this year, I took on, in addition to my sort of platform engineering, back-endy stuff. I also um, had the opportunity to run a few of the front-end teams for our B2B products. So with that additional responsibility, oh. I was promoted. I don't know how many EVPs there are. I, I would guess maybe eight, 
10 maybe um, in the organization. Um, And um, yeah. And so I'm currently, um, the teams that I currently work with that are uh, report up through me is our data engineering teams, our application development teams for our B2B product suite, um, our analytics teams, infrastructure, DevOps, and like corp IT. So, you know, all of our internal services for what is way too many offices for an organization of 800 people, but we have oh, like yeah. an office in every city, it seems like. Super distributed. Um, yeah. So, well, yeah. and, and then talk a little bit about, so in that hierarchy and mm-hmm. maybe at health grades specifically, or maybe in your experience more generally, what separates a more junior leader from a more senior leader in, in terms of skill sets or, or maybe um, uh, personality or uh, probably not even person, probably not personality, probably more like, uh, the way they engage with folks or what, what is it? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good question. I think that probably what's universally true is that your ability to work cross-functionally. So sort of work across, even with a company of 800, we still have operations and sales and marketing and, you know, customer service and all of that. So um, being able to drive initiatives uh, across those various functional areas and and get uh, support um, and get things done um, is is probably a big part of um, of, of success at health grades, at least within product development. Um, the other thing is, you know, like most places, they're very, um, there's always a nuance of who specifically you work for. And I happen to have a boss that's very sort of rational, logical, you know, objective, um, organized. And so, and that really suits well, I think, with the, the way that I am. So um, I feel like it was a really nice surprise to work for someone that, um, you know, I don't have to work so hard at explaining myself and, and vice versa. We understand each other. Sure. Um, so that maybe is part of it, why um, I've been successful here. But I think really... Uh, it comes down to being able to lead cross-functionally. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Is there a particular leadership issue that you're dealing with or thinking about right now? Uh, oh. Have you grown a lot and that's something that you had to do, like change the scope of your leadership somewhat or? Yeah. So I'm totally obsessing about this one thing and I don't want to take us off track, but I had these two converging ideas sort of um, happen to to align at the same time. So on one hand, um, on a completely personal note, completely unrelated to work, I've been completely obsessing over these various topics around how do you build habits, how do you improve incrementally. It started off for um, very sort of personal improvement goal ideas. And I think I've read like 100 books this year. That's not an exaggeration. Mm-hmm. Maybe more on that topic and peripheral topics associated with that. And then simultaneously, um, I've been really asking myself, how do I, um, how do I succession plan for lack of a better word, um, at work? Mm-hmm. Um, because I have just an extraordinary team. I have such excellent leaders that work for me and engineers that work for me. And, um, you know, I'm definitely asking myself the question for what's next for them. How do I get them to their next step in their career, whatever that may be. And, um, and so on. And so those, those two problems sort of converged for me uh, as of late, uh, uh, meaning um, that I am spending a lot of time thinking about how do I build habits or systems um, that 
are applicable to being a leader? And then how do I translate them to the people who work for me as sort of a toolkit conceptually um, uh, to help them on the succession planning journey? So I think like everyone in the country, me included, read the book uh, from James Clear about you know habits, atomic habits. And uh, it's a brilliant book. And so one of the things he talks about it there is uh, that you don't, like setting goals is not the most important thing because a lot of people have the same goals, right? Like if you're a sports mm-hmm. team, everyone has the same goal to win, right? But still a whole bunch of people lose. So just setting the goal isn't that important. Uh, what is really important that you don't rise to the level of your goals, that this is his quote, that you fall to the level of your system. So how do you build a system um, hmm. that is going to carry you towards your goal, not just at one time, but consistently and over time, right? So if you want to lose weight, setting a goal to lose five pounds may not be as effective. You may lose it once or maybe not. But what is effective is creating a system for whether it's healthy eating or whatever that works in your life. Um, so very sort of along those lines, I've been trying to think, well, how do you create a system where, for example, um, Incident management is a process that creates opportunities to learn as opposed to be punished, right? How do you- I love it. I love um, it already. (laughs) How do you make decisions in an organization around, I don't know, a design pattern or technical standard? Like, how do you come up with a standard and not shove it down people's throats, right? Um, How do you design a system where engineers feel the autonomy to make decisions um, that really should be within their scope without making racies? Because if I make a racy, I'm going to be- allergic to it i just it's a tool it's solid it's useful you don't, don't need it for it. everything yeah but it's not my go-to I, I sort of do it reluctantly uh when i have to but um so how do you create systems for that where people feel empowered how do you create a system where you're hiring good talent uh like what's the repeatable process for that so there's all these things and i had this sort of light bulb idea that what I can do in my role for the people who are my direct reports in their plan isn't necessarily um, what I've already been doing, which I think is needed, like create opportunities for them to do stuff, right? Give them more to do or more different things to do that stretch their muscles and to do all that, but also um, talk to them about these more um, maybe wider um system level thinking concepts so they can develop their own habits and their own toolkits. Um, and this is even tactically useful to me because um, like I have a situation right now where I have a leader who um, struggles with how he manages his teams. Um, he comes mm-hmm. across as a micromanager and let's face it, nobody likes that. Um, mm-hmm. So so one of the things I've been talking to him about is how do you create a system where you know you're less likely to be triggered to go to these behaviors, right? So for example, maybe you should talk last in a meeting <laughs> as opposed to first. Uh-huh. Um, you know, do you do that consistently? Um, so it can be it can be really big problems like you know how do you have an amazing talent pipeline of hiring great engineers to how do you deal with um, an individual sort of problem you maybe with? So um, I don't know if that's super coherent, but this is what I'm currently discussing over. Oh, it's like just applying system level thinking at every level. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah. And um, are you writing about this? Or, or is there, can you tell us, uh, is there a blog we should direct people to? Because this certainly sounds like a blog uh, you know, material. 
I am writing about it super old school on paper. My mm -hmm. intention is to publish sort of, uh, I think it's going to be like six parts uh, a series on probably just LinkedIn or something okay. as I work out my ideas and go Let through it. Let us know. Um, I, would, I would love to read this. This sounds super interesting. I love the tactical yeah. approach to everything from, especially, and I, I think I, we, we heard the sound of Kendall's head exploding when you were said, maybe this person That's should the... talk last in, in the no, meeting. No, we did not hear anything in that situation, <laughs> Pi. Nothing happened My i don't know i saw that look on your face <laughs> i know this sounds super cool and i'm i'm uh, i'm interested to hear more about it um and so yeah. we're we, we we often ask this question and i'm i'm very excited to hear the answer from you because i think it's going to be a cool uh when the pressure when you, you know yeah, oh sorry about that no pressure <laughs> no pressure, uh, pressure. what is your relationship with authority like i mean how do you feel about uh, having authority over these folks and how do you feel about uh, other people having authority over you? I mean, is it different yeah. from when you were in retail and those folks were like hourly and didn't really have a career at stake or is it the same feeling? Yeah, I think that my feeling about both those things has really changed over the years. Um, so first off, as far as how I feel about people having authority over me, I'm like a person who gets in a fight with a TSA agent when they tell me what to do. Like I have a huge problem with just sort of being bossed around. Um, and I, I just, I just don't do well with that at all. Um, but I, it occurred to me over the years that what really bothers me about it isn't the authority per se. So I, I reflected on that, um, over time because it's not a super healthy feeling, right? Like feeling mm -hmm. sort of like, I don't even know, like angry or annoyed when someone tries to sort of tell you what to do. And I didn't like Sounds that. Sounds healthy to me. Yeah. It's an awesome <laughs> culture. Um, so I thought yeah. about like, what is it about that that I don't like? And mostly how do I avoid working for people who do that? And then how do I not ever do that to people who work for me? And um, the thing that I realized I really have like an allergy to is when someone has authority for like ego's sake. You know, like they're not contributing to the problem or the solution. They're not asking me good questions and making me think about a problem in a different way or giving me mm -hmm. guidance where it's more like rubber stampy or approval or something for the sake of just, you know, I'm higher than you title wise and therefore I shall approve your whatever the thing that you want to do. That is um, just the rules, lady. Yeah. It's when it's grounded in insecurity. That, exactly. When it's like being driven by your ego's need to be important or something that really sort of sure. irks me. Um, and I, uh, I don't do well with that. I, I do enjoy being able to do whatever I want, but you know, I, I do, <laughs> do like that. Uh, Who doesn't? Well, but, I mean, I think there's a part of that where that's, this is interesting that you're saying this cause I haven't thought about this before, but that, uh, there's a part of if the person with the authority is comfortable with the authority they have, they approach it in a different way. Hey, right. you know, ma'am, your bag came through and there's a thing in it. Do you mind if we run it through again? We have to, you know, versus like, get to the back of the line. We're rescanning yeah. your effing bag, you know, like there's yeah. a, and, and some of it's just comfort with the authority they have, which I've never really tied those two together, but that the response when the person's comfortable with what they have and isn't insecure about it, isn't seeing it as an ego trip, mm -hmm. you know, they can use it in a not shitty way. Exactly. But, uh, you're yeah, you're yeah. spot on. That's, that's exactly right. Like I feel very differently when my boss is like, well, have you thought about this? And how do you think about that? And, you know, um, uh, have you considered X or whatever? Asking good questions. Uh, and that's a habit I'm working on is asking different questions because I find myself asking the same questions all the time. And I'm like, mm, I don't know if I'm doing, you know, the, the service, but um, 
But I really feel like that's, that, that it's different when you approach it from a perspective of wanting to be part of a team, of it being a partnership, and you're very comfortable mm -hmm. in your role as opposed to you know, coming down from the mountain with the laws and sort of, uh, yeah. So that's really what bothers me about it. So I, I still don't particularly like it. Um, but I've been fortunate where, you know, I've I try to pick bosses who, who don't do that um, yeah. and, and help me grow. And then on the flip side, uh, how do I feel uh, having authority over others? Um, it's hard to remember how I felt about, about it years ago. I think what I felt was a lot of responsibility back then. I just felt very sort of this weight and not in a bad way, not like in a burdensome way, but just this amount of responsibility entrusted with me is what I sort of remember from that time. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But now I, I really feel, um, I really feel different. It sound, it's going to sound a little maybe silly, but I, because I truly believe that my role is to create these systems where people can succeed, right? Like I, people say that you won't, we only use like X percent of our brains and whatever, right? So I look at people who work for me and I'm like, I know this person is capable of so much. Like how do I create a system where that is aligned with what the organization needs and allows this person to start exploring that? Because I believe that's my really only value contribution at this point, let's face it, I probably should not write code anymore. Um, <laughs> probably not amazing um, at this point. Um, so really, you know, this is my only skill. Um, just kidding. I have others, but not, not really. Um, <laughs> I can, I can still, I can still read code and all that, but um, anyways, uh, because that's my, I, I believe that to be my purpose. Um, I truly feel like about the authority I have over others. I really feel um, like humbled by it. Um, I really feel yeah. like it's um, like the team that I have are like we're on the same team that we're we're partners in this mission. Um, I continuously learn from them uh, all the time about how to do things, how not to do things, and this is true with with technical things and not technical things, right? I, I still participate in tech design and solving technical problems and incident resolutions and release coordination and all that stuff and. Um, and I learned from them constantly on how to solve technical problems and people problems. Um, so I really feel, I really feel humbled by it, um, on a, on a daily basis. And it's, yeah. I feel like one of the things that often changes, especially, and I, I know I keep going back to like your life as a retail manager versus in a, you know, tech company or a healthcare company, something larger, more formal, more officially enterprisey, right? Mm -hmm. the, the, one of the differences also with between newer leaders and, and, and more senior leaders is that the newer leaders feel as though they cannot, they cannot have any weakness. They cannot, mm -hmm. uh, they have to act like, they just have the authority and and swing the authority without anything behind it where you get that response like, well, I'm not going to listen to you. You, are, you don't actually have real power. Mm -hmm. There's That's one side of it. And then the other side of it is when it's someone like you who feels that responsibility to the people who report to them, even if they're just hourly folks and they're working 10 hours a week for you or whatever, you don't feel like you have a lot of uh, capability, a lot of uh, ability to to help them and defend them from higher management, you don't actually feel empowered. Mm -hmm. And so that's a different, you know, it's an entirely different relationship with authority when you don't actually have enough of it to make their lives better and, and get them further forward in, in their own roles. That's like a really I, good point. Mm -hmm. I haven't thought about it that way, but I think that's a really good point. And uh, like, I've even the, the part about um, sort of feeling like you have to have all the answers. I definitely think that was true early on in my mm -hmm. career. And now I, um, I'm yeah. very, very much uh, try to be as transparent as I possibly can. I tell my team all the time that the only difference between 
my role in there is that the mistakes I make are much bigger. <laughs> yeah. um, much bigger. And that's really the only thing, you know, um, that is different. And I, I always try to be transparent about that. Um, and I, I feel like that goes a long way to building trust. And I really feel like yeah. that trust is the foundation for for being partners in your whatever your thing is. Yeah, it's much more long lasting. Sure. Relationships can be built that mm -hmm. way. Yeah. Totally. Well, so um Switch switch gears a little bit, Beata. What besides uh, reading hundreds of books on uh, <laughs> how to build systems in your personal and work life, and and then writing about them? I mean, what kinds of things do you do outside of work? Uh, what are what hobbies or whatever that that keep you entertained? Yeah, so I have a year and a half and a not even three month old three month old Australian shepherds. Um, <laughs> So they keep me super, super busy. I actually had to have someone take the little one out for an adventure during this call because there's <laughs> zero chance that he would be quiet. Um, <laughs> Much appreciated. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I spend a lot of time uh, with my dogs uh, currently. That's my sort of second life because they're small and they both require so much attention. So I learned all this stuff about dogs that I didn't know. Like, for example, to get them into a training class um, is like a six month wait list <laughs> in oh, Denver. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, my little one's already on the waiting list for the classes that my big one is going through as a whole. I, ha I figured it out with the second one. I'm like, okay, I have to get on early. Um, <laughs> this is and like preschool right kids it, see people get in line to get their kids into preschool before the kid is born yeah. at this point Seriously. as well it costs as much as preschool i think yeah. as well <laughs> so, um, <laughs> i spend a lot of time outside with uh with them as well so that's essentially other than reading a lot um i think a lot of the time that i spend is trying to enjoy colorado i love denver i love the mountains um i moved here from the midwest and I don't miss the the weather or anything about that uh, at all. And I every day, uh, every weekend, try to take full advantage of the beautiful place that we live in. It does. What about really the mosquitoes? You don't miss the mosquitoes? Oh man, you know I forgot they existed. That's right. <laughs> Good job, Kendall. Good Thanks. job. Uh, I know. I know. So, uh, do you feel as though becoming a leader has affected your personal life? I mean, it's, you kind of talked about this already, but you you applying things that you're learning in your personal life to your leadership role, does it, uh, have you found it going the other way as well? And is that good or bad? Do you think? Um, you know, I, I heard you guys ask that question before and I was thinking about that too. It's hard to separate the two persons, right? I, there, I, I'm not one of those people who has like a different personality at work or something. I'm kind of like, yeah. Uh, all in. I don't um, trust I do, those people. I don't. <laughs> yeah, you get like a little bit of a, you know, spidey sense where you're like, what are you hiding? And I'm, I just have no skills when it comes to like, I could never play poker, like zero skills. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I think my face sort of just says everything that I'm thinking, uh, whether I want to or not. Um, so I do think it's changed my life. I think one, um, one meaningful way that um, it's changed my life it has been around just the fact that I feel so much more comfortable as a, just being me than I, that as a result of having the job that I had. I think leading large teams, mm. being entrusted with responsibility, making mistakes and sort of seeing that it's okay, um, you know, when you do and you learn from them and knowing that I can uh, continuously grow and improve in my professional life, I feel like really has given me a lot of, um, maybe security and just who I am as a person. And it just made everything else in my life easier too. Um, uh, so I, it's, 
kind of like maybe more an emotional state, but um, I, I feel so much more comfortable in my own skin um, with all the things that I am, you know, a woman, an engineering leader, an engineer, a friend, all those things um, uh, than I ever did before. Um, and tactically, um, I do feel like sort of the ability to get things done and execute is a valuable skill that, you know, translates to anything Absolutely. in life. Um, yeah. So I, I, yeah. certainly, I certainly take advantage of, of, of that. I'm, I'm a person who is like, you know, color codes my workout clothing drawer and <laughs> everything is <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say when you need to buy dog food, you can do so efficiently, but, uh, but this, I this do, is next level. I'm good at doing research. That was very <laughs> applicable when I was buying dog food. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm definitely good at evaluating vendors. So, you know, there's all kinds of tactical <laughs> skills that carry through. Super useful. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd like to buy dog food from you, but can you send me over your GDPR and HIPAA <laughs> compliance <laughs> document? Right. Um. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Well, we need to wrap up for time's sake here, but Beata, where can people find you on the internet? I'm going to um, find you. Yeah, so LinkedIn is probably the best place to find me. I don't, I'm not super active on anything else. I've never figured out how to use whatever it is people use nowadays, Pinterest and whatnot. So um, that's probably not even it. So LinkedIn is the best place to find me. All right, we will put your uh, how to find you on LinkedIn in the show notes. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, this yeah, is super this great. Is great. I've, I've learned a lot already, and I'm looking forward to uh, your your output in terms of your systems thinking publication, whatever that turns out to be. Uh, I, I picked up some tips. I do. I, I don't know that Kendall's going to acknowledge the, the mind blown, like talk at the end part. Cause I need to do that. Um, <laughs> but that was a great tip. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me. You guys, this is so much fun. I really enjoyed it.